0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome. It's Tuesday, and that means it's time for our Crack Strategy panel. Yesterday, we learned that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson became the first world leader to contract a serious case of the coronavirus, which has sent him to the intensive care unit. The word is that he's on oxygen, but not on a ventilator. Of course, most of all, we wish him and his family all the best, but his case does raise some questions. So first of all, are the authorities downplaying the gravity of his situation and have they been doing so all along or for a while? I also wonder if this will mark some kind of turning point, bringing home the point to world leaders that it can happen to them. Uh, I think uh, it might make it all the more real and stark for them. And, also, we witnessed the saga of Donald Trump and the medical masks bound for Canada and Latin America. First, he said he would stop the exports. Uh, 3M, the company that manufactures them, pushed back. Then he walked that back a little bit. Then word that a big shipment was held up at the border. And now we are relieved to know that those masks have been released. And uh, frankly, from what I can see, Trump is not being much more generous to his own states as he makes distinctions between the federal stockpile and the state stockpile. And he says they're not an ordering clerk. And uh, some of those states thinking especially about New York need that medical equipment desperately as well. And of course, here at home, we're seeing the beginning of the rollout of the emergency response benefit, which seems to be going smoothly. So let me give the numbers, 416-360-0740, toll-free 866 740 740 And now I'd like to welcome John Capobianco, Senior Vice President and Senior Partner, Fleischman Hillard High Road, Karen Stintz, CEO of Variety Village and former Toronto City Councilor, and charles bird managing principal of Earnscliffe strategy group in toronto hello and how are you all hi libby hi libby hi. good afternoon okay is everybody uh, doing fine in uh, at home
2: safe uh, <clears throat> safe and healthy so far so knock on wood
1: <clears throat> charles
2: Someone send razors,
3: please.
1: Okay. <laughs> and <laughs> You're Karen? Beyond razors. Yeah, we're all safe and healthy. <laughs> okay, well, that is good to hear. Uh, so, Boris Johnson, uh, ill enough to require hospitalization in an intensive care unit. Uh, of course, we all wish him well, but is, is this going to mark some kind of inflection point or turning point, John?
2: Yeah you know what and, and also yeah i we all send uh, our our uh, our best to for to Boris um the prime minister i think uh, and hopefully i think you'd mention as well that we've been hearing reports that that he's in intensive care uh, not on a ventilator, but on oxygen. And I think from what I was hearing, he was sent there more as a pre- preventative, uh, and precautious, air, uh, uh, sort of strategy in a sense that if it got worse, he was nearby a ventilator just in the event that it, it has, his symptoms got worse, but he seems to be stabilizing. And I hope that's the case. But I think what it does, uh, Libby, is, is it shows and it tells uh, how real this is. And not, not that we didn't know that already, but when, when a G7 leader Uh, is felled by it and is hospitalized uh, to a point it does send shockwaves to citizens in other countries um, but also to leaders to say you know the vulnerability and and, and this does not have any Potential barriers for anybody. So when you know when President Trump is out there with uh, six or seven people on a stage on a regular basis, um, you know our Prime Minister has, has been isolated and, and is, is you know is obviously taking precautions. Uh, the Premier of the province, along with you know three or four or five of his cabinet ministers, it, it just shows you and it, it makes you want to you know just be cautious about um you know any other you know g7 leader getting or any leader quite frankly getting this because at a time like this we need our leaders to be healthy strong and and present on a daily basis
1: uh, yeah, you know, John, uh, and what you said about this being a precautionary measure, uh, w- we we heard one interview from a doctor saying, you know, nobody is put into ICU as a precaution, though maybe it would be different for the prime minister. But a, a lot of people think that, that the government is purposely downplaying Johnson's condition. Charles?
3: Well, that is a concern. Um, the latest reports, as of this morning, are as John indicates that he's on uh, he's on oxygen but not on a ventilator. Um, the fact that he hasn't spoken to his uh, sort of interim replacement Dominic Rapp since Saturday is probably not a good sign. Um, And I think that may be part of what's fueling uh, the speculation. And uh, I suppose if there is a silver lining in all this, it is just such a wake-up call for Britons and for for anyone that this this is not to be taken lightly. I mean, uh, Boris Johnson was first diagnosed 10 days ago. And it was really only yesterday afternoon that he suffered a turn for the worst. And his medical team decided that uh, hospitalization and intensive care was the way to go. And I'm sure they wouldn't have uh, opted for intensive care unless they thought there was very good reason that uh, he needed to have a ventilator close at hand and, and ready to go if it came to that.
1: Uh, Well, a a couple of things are interesting. Uh, uh, It seems that that is not an unusual course of the disease that it starts off mild and then gets worse, sometimes a lot worse, within a week or 10 days. And uh, he did not look well in that video that he sent last Friday. And, uh, you know, Charles Charles mentioned that he hadn't talked to Dominic Grob, and they apparently talk multiple times a day. So, uh, Karen, what do you take from that?
4: Well, yeah, yeah. No, I don't have much to add to, to what the panel said. I mean, to your point, Libby, um, you know, in Germany, they do go around um, for cases of that have tested positive on the 10-day mark, because to the point that you raised, that's, that's where the turning point is. So um, it, 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 it appears as if this is affecting Boris Johnson in a way that the 10-day turning point was where he needed to be hospitalized. And, you know, I think that there is a combination of um, making sure that he's, you know, getting the care that he needs and whether to downplay it or not. I, I don't think it does it, it, uh, Britain any good to downplay a situation. And uh, so I, I, I think that the, the situation is what it is and that he's in hospital and he's, he's got COVID-19 and he's... Um, managing the disease in, in a way that many others are across Britain and in Canada who re- who also have contracted it. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think it's a wake-up call. I think that there has been an aggressive response to the pandemic, that um, all countries know the seriousness of it. So I, I think, you know, even our prime minister, you know, his wife contracted it, so he had been living with the reality of it um, personally. So, um, you know, I, I think that it certainly is... Um, something that, you know, again, you know, it speaks to the need to continue to, to be doing all that we can do to get it under control and uh, just highlights that everyone is vulnerable.
1: Okay, let's uh, move right along to the saga of the masks and Donald Trump. And uh, he's also trumpeting this drug that is uh, not proven yet may be good for it but um let's start with charles again uh, so donald trump and the masks
3: oh where to begin i mean um it's it's difficult to understand what goes on in his mind i suppose we've seen it for so long now over the course of his presidency that no one's terribly surprised but i think we should grant ourselves the privilege to be uh, to be shocked from time to time with with his outlandish behavior and and the the way he operates. Um, I will say it it points to, uh, you know, an issue of real concern in Ontario, which is, you know, a relative shortage of uh, personal protective equipment. And, you know, we've come a long way from um, Doug Ford's announcement a couple weeks ago about how Ontario was going to be You know, a manufacturing powerhouse supplying much-needed equipment to the rest of Canada to finding out yesterday that we're a week away from running out of supplies. Um, You know, that that should obviously cause a lot of us concern. And unfortunately, we still lag behind in testing. Ontario on a per capita basis has tested the fewest number of people among all the provinces. And, you know, obviously testing, testing, testing is is a mantra in terms of how you identify where the coronavirus is, and 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 isolated accordingly, and it feels that um, that has been a problem. It, 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 the good news is that they are ramping up in Ontario. That um, at the moment we're doing thirteen thousand tests a day, and that number is expected to rise to uh, twenty to thirty thousand by the end of April. So that's good news in and of itself. Well, but, the backlog
1: um, the backlog is apparently cleared. But, that's right. And yeah. full
3: credit to a former official by the name of David Hallett, who was brought out of retirement to, uh, to deal with uh, the situation in Ontario's laboratories and has obviously done a, a terrific job. And it's interesting to note that he's now been moved in charge. He's now been put in sole charge of uh, supply chains of medical equipment or PPE. So that... Uh, so it's good to have individuals like that in in our back
1: corner. Karen, you wanted to talk about testing.
4: I did. Yes, because I, I to Charles' point, I think that that um that's the one thing that Ontario needs to ramp up and ramp up really quickly um in order to get a handle on on you know where our vulnerabilities are. Uh because you know there's further talk about clamping down even further on uh, on the public and on our you know social distancing and and but you know that alone is not going to help us get ahead of this virus that we need to, we need to know where in the, in, in the province are the concerns are, and right now we, we just don 't know and uh, so the testing is is a key component to countries abilities to to, 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 bring, to flatten the curve and to, to bring the virus to a point where they can start to think about, okay, how do we now start opening up our economies again? And so uh, that it's good that Ontario is putting its mind to that, because that's exactly where we need to be.
1: John, so we have this testing issue. Uh, at least we now have a, a supply chain czar. In the United States, I mean, it's crazy. The states are crying out for some kind of similar authority, and, and the way Trump has it organized, they all have to compete against each other for the medical God. equipment. Um.
2: Yeah, I think I think the US is such a is, is such a, a, a an interesting s- system quite frankly because when once once a state uh and the and pre- the president declares an emergency um Measures and then obviously FEMA takes over, and then of course it becomes a much more of a militaristic kind of a, a kind of an approach in, in some ways, but I think here and, and quite frankly anywhere libby there's never going to be enough tests right you you 're never going to have enough tests on a daily basis and and you could increase the number by fifty percent by sixty percent and it's just not enough um, and I think you're going to hear that all the time. I think the key thing is that that the numbers do increase on a daily basis, and that the backlog is Uh, eliminated those are our key milestones that are that are encouraging Uh, but you know obviously we can do there's never going to be enough tests that we can do on a daily basis i think what's encouraging as well and and i think that the the prime or the uh, premier ford has made this mention to say that he'll ensure that moving forward if if god forbid this ever happens again we have another pandemic or another virus that hits us um that we're going to be able to have Manufacturing in our province and, and you know within our country, hopefully that we can supply ourselves first and foremost and then worry about other uh, other countries and other areas that that we need to worry about and I think what we 've seen to date, which is Companies like GM and others who have transformed their production lines to to uh, to enable masks to be to be produced and and some in some cases ventilating uh, equipment to be produced. The fact that they can do that now and retool their production lines means that when this is over uh, and uh, and there's calmer days ahead, companies will be able to hopefully uh, have the technology and the entrepreneurial skill and and. Uh, and wherewithal to be able to produce these PPEs uh, in house, so that so that we will never have this issue uh, ever happen again, where there, there's a shortage.
1: Yeah, and then we might get to the point where we have too much. I mean, definitely, it's going to change the way business is done, and and the way our economies are are integrated. I I would think that at the very least, that's going to happen, Charles.
3: Yeah, I, and there's a lot of things that clearly have to happen. I think one of the places you need to start is in terms of our long term um, care facilities. I mean, as of yesterday, we've had 46 separate COVID 19 outbreaks in long term care uh, homes uh, compared to just 10 in Ontario's hospitals. And this is and, and at the at This is obviously something that's of grave concern and it's a spokesperson for um, Ontario's health minister said yesterday that it's the responsibility of nursing homes and other institutions to have their own pandemic plans in place and clearly that hasn't worked. So I think a new approach is uh, is needed in a hurry. Well, Andrew- and likewise, um, you know, the the dynamic between Premier Ford and uh, and President Trump is an interesting one to see. I mean, I think a lot of people were heartened by how outspoken uh, the premier was in his criticism with regards to the possible holding of medical equipment at the border uh, to prevent it from coming into to Canada. But I mean, it was it was literally earlier this year that the premier was in washington singing the praises of donald trump and lashing out at nancy pelosi and bernie sanders and so it feels like there's been some evolution in the premier's thinking
1: well uh, he is a, a plain spoken guy he he by the way he seems to be getting a lot of credit for handling this and i have Huge. to say there there sometimes when i look at him and think that's a different person
3: yeah. yeah there's a reckoning to come though i think that's one of the things that We'll have to do once once the dust has settled and once we've emerged on the other side, whenever that is and whatever that looks like. Uh, I think we, we need to have a hard look at the performance of the federal government, of provincial governments and municipal governments. And it's pretty clear, largely because of the SARS experience, that, that the city of Toronto was, was extremely well prepared uh, for this kind of eventuality and has taken remarkable steps and full credit to Mayor Tory and his administration, I think the, the province has been playing catch-up a little bit in that regard. So, again, that's probably not a discussion for today. That's uh, for another, another time. And
1: uh, John and Karen, the, this emergency response benefit seems to be rolling out okay after the original fiasco of uh, employment insurance.
4: Yeah, yeah, it is. And um, you know, and again, we're still now waiting. I mean, so and the next shoot to drop of course will be the, the 75% federal subsidy, which is what um, you know, small businesses and and like my my charity is relying on to help. Um, if you can keep-
1: last that long. I mean, that is the you know, the fact that it is going to take I don't know how to make how they could make it quicker.
4: I but- don't know either. And um, you know, but for for businesses that are struggling such as myself with cash flow issues, um, it, you know, six weeks is a long time when you have no income, and Absolutely. so it's um, you know, so it's it's good that what the the learnings that they got from EI to now the emergency benefit hopefully will apply to the seventy five percent wage subsidy, so that they can quickly get that into businesses' hands, so that um, there aren't more layoffs because you know the cash flow uh, is is a legitimate liquidity in business is a legitimate issue because some bills you they don't go away. Um, you you can manage your payroll to a degree, but you can't manage not paying your rent for a long period of time or your other bills that come, that come due. So, um, it, you know, hope, as I say, hopefully that um, they're able to take some of the learnings from the emergency benefit and apply it to the wage subsidy.
1: Well, the, the learnings from the emergency benefit seems to be that if you're going to run it through the CRA, it might work.
4: Yeah, and that's good because with the, the, the wage subsidy is being run through the CRA as well.
1: Oh, okay well that 's that 's uh fairly good news uh, john in general how how are our various governments handling this and and the other question I have is that in terms of some of these uh, you know are are we going a little overboard in in limiting civil liberties uh, you know some of the fines that the mayor was talking about the set fines are $1,000 for, for not distancing. Uh, are, 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 is some of that going too far?
2: No, I, I think that you know, and, and the polls have, have shown uh, consistently over the last little while. And there's more and more polling that's being done now with respect to, to just measuring government's approval uh, and and what what people think uh, of of the, not only their local governments but the provincial and the federal governments. And I think they've all been scoring fairly high. Uh, I think Premier Ford has been scoring almost as high as Premier Legault in, in some cases, which is a testament to the fact that he's been out there and has been transparent and. And uh you know one of the first premiers to be able to say, "Look, look at our numbers here's what we're doing and uh, and I think that uh, the Prime minister was getting a little bit of flack uh in that he wasn't as as transparent with respect to the to the curve and the numbers and and whatnot that that have been happening and we're seeing that in the u s as well now with with daily uh briefings and they're showing uh what each state is is doing by way of, of of trying to maintain uh the peak of the curve but so I think leaders are are doing well um i I also feel that it's a tough battle for for a lot of them because sometimes they just don't have enough information to go out on a daily basis but because They've been doing it on a daily basis. They have to continue to do it on a daily basis because it would be news if they didn't. Uh, and I think you, there's a balance between, you know, re- remaining optimistic and, and letting folks know that things are good, but yet being transparent about how tough this is and, and what the numbers really are. Uh, and that's why I think, you know, it leads to, to the other question, would be with respect to, is it, you know, is it civil liberties and, and are leaders going far enough? Well, I, I think that what we've seen... certainly yeah, so, the question was, Florida, are they going too that, far? <laughs> Well, no, but especially in Toronto, yeah. I think you, you can only give warnings so many times, and you can only say publicly to the to the you know to the citizens of Toronto to Torontonians, uh, stay home enough's enough. And when you see them at parks and playing soccer, uh, the next step is to say, look, we're gonna we're gonna fine you and penalize you. And I think the police are doing it in a way that uh, is smart, and and you know they're they're not automatically going there and slapping tickets on them. They're sort of trying to. You know, reason with them, but I think it's the right thing to do, especially given the fact that we have to flatten the curve, and we're almost there, and we got to continue to do that—that uh, that yeah. kind of uh, sacrifice. Yeah,
1: the, but- the one thing I want to point out about w- what you said, John, in terms of releasing those modeling numbers, those modeling numbers—they're it's not like real numbers; they're projections, Project- uh, which are only as good as the assumptions. They are wildly divergent, and it's i i mean i have a caveat on them it's it it's one thing for uh scientists to be looking at those projections and using them for their planning purposes but you know a lot of people are really anxious already and uh i'm not sure what purpose it serves to 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 look at a hugely divergent model that say the of uh, thousands and thousands of people possibly yeah i mean you, it, if you know how to look at it it's one thing but i think most people don't though i mean i get, i applaud transparency obviously i'm a journalist but in that case uh, you know i i had to be on the side of even teresa tam was saying you know you've got to uh, take these with a caveat.
4: Yeah, for sure, Libby. And um, I'm, I'm jumping in a little bit, but, yep. um, you know, John said that we can't, uh, there's not enough testing. No, the the countries that have succeeded in, in truly flattening the curve have relied on social distancing and testing. And you need yeah. both. You need both. And we don't have enough testing, to Charles's point, point, until we figure out a strategy to ramp up the testing. And also, you know, testing... You know testing nursing homes because our strategy right now is not working because the virus is getting to the very place where we know it will have the most detrimental impact and the population at large is you know still going about their business because it, they they don't they don't understand the threat of the potential impact on them and their community because that data is not being collected and shared in a way that is making it relevant to them so I don't, you know, I think that people are accepting the social distancing, they're accepting the measures because they understand the immediacy of it, but from a longer-term strategy, without the testing, we're not going to get ahead
3: of where we need to be. Uh, ab- I think that's right. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, absolutely. It, it, importantly, really the only numbers we can, we can trust at this point are not in the models. They're actually in the hard and fast numbers of how many folks are in intensive care, how many folks are, have died. And those are those are the numbers that we can put a very, very accurate fix on, and those numbers are very, very relevant. And I, I should just note that so far, um, we've seen 345 deaths in Canada as a result of COVID-19, whereas in the United States, it's close to 12,000 deaths. That's 36 times more deaths than we've had in Canada. And again, it may be that we're just behind the curve, that the worst is still ahead, that we may see... Major spikes in both intensive care, uh, bed usage, and, and ultimately in deaths. Um, but so far, you know, God willing, it, it looks like we've sidestepped the brunt of this thing, at least from a mortality perspective. And uh, full credit to, uh, to the federal government, to provincial governments in that
2: regard.
1: Well yeah we'll we'll have to see I uh, just a point I wanted to make about the nursing homes earlier the opposition leader Andrea Horvath came out with a, a set of suggestions to try to fix things you know that it might be a bit late and we learned this morning very disturbing that at Pinecrest where they had all those deaths they did not separate sick and well patients until after there were uh, I a number of deaths and part of the reason was that those rooms didn't come available until people died which is I mean just horrifying.
2: Yeah and, and that's it Libby I think um, uh, uh, they're they've obviously taking precautions now you know because I'm, I'm unfortunately given the deaths they've gotten out some space that they are able to spread people around and and those are learnings I think that you know some uh, homes have have been able to jump on, jump in front of it and, and deal with it. Others, um, not so much, and the ones that haven't been are the ones that are devastatingly obviously having to deal with some deaths in, in this situation. But um, you know, I, as as far as Andrew Horvath, uh, I'm not sure. Um, the relevance of, 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 what she's been able to do. I think she's criticized everything that the premier has done, including not enough money to, 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 AIDS and stuff. So I'm not sure anyone's listening, but, um, you know, I just think that we just have to maintain some level of, of positivity and, and ensure that the tests and, and, and the fact that the premier is, is challenging Trump on, on a lot of things, including the 3M, uh, has been positive news for, uh, for us here in Ontario.
1: Okay, I'm going to give just about the last word to uh, Jen and Guelph has been waiting, and I think she wants to tell us that we shouldn't be criticizing our leaders. Hi, Jen.
4: Hi, uh, Libby. Quickly, um, I do resent the people who are criticizing our leaders who are trying to do their very best. It's their first time around, and uh, they're doing their best. And all I can say to the people who are criticizing them is, uh, I wish you could ask the leaders to step aside, and you take their place and hope that nobody criticizes you.
1: Okay. Well, you know, I have to say we aren't criticizing as vigorously as we usually do. That is one thing for sure. But I, but I hear you. Yep. They. Uh, the one thing that I do have to say about our leaders, uh, I I believe they are trying their best. Yeah. I didn't mean you. I mean the general public. Oh. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for clarifying. Uh, okay. We are basically out of time for this week. And thank you so much to our. Our panel, and uh, this thing is going to go on, and we're going to have a lot more to talk about when we reconvene next week. And by the way, uh, happy Easter to all of you. Thank you to Karen Stints, John Capobianco, and
0: Charles Bird. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.